On today's podcast, we will be covering the unfortunate and tragic demise of Stadia. We will also be looking at the Bayonetta boycott happening in the news this week. And our topic of the show, we'll be looking at gamer profiles and what each of us has going on with their gamer profile. Coming at you next. Uh, we're doing a whole new thing on our podcast. We are going to start with a crosstalk news section where we're going to talk about the news and we're going to discuss it and get our opinions. Then we're going to go into the cross topic uh, where we talk about the topic for the show. And uh, that's going to be the new breakdown of the way we're going to run podcasts. So keep an eye out. We might have some future changes going on, but let's get started with the thing that I am probably uh, most connected to, which is the certain demise that has come at a price that uh, Stadia is shutting down. Uh, Google shutting down Stadia in January of 2023. This article comes to us from The Verge. Uh, the executives over at Stadia have basically said they are not going to be doing anything else with Stadia. They're shutting it down. Uh, the most interesting piece of it to me is they're offering refunds for anybody that bought hardware. Uh, so uh, kind of a huge, you know, first of its kind, um, you know, to my knowledge, the first of its kind. Um, so it's kind of neat, you know, the, the fact that I bought this controller that now won't work with anything. Uh, I think maybe it'll still work plugged into a PC, but maybe not. And, you know, get a refund. But uh, kind of sad for Stadia. Uh, I still think there's a future in cloud gaming, but maybe Stadia is not a part of it. But Russ, Brian, what do you guys think about this? Well, and not only here's the other thing, Dave, they're not only giving hardware refunds. They're giving game and DLC refunds. So if you spent any money on the Stadia store, you are getting refunded. I, I have seen a number of people comment that they're literally getting thousands of dollars refunded to them. Wow. Um, which then they're taking that and going to purchase new consoles, they've already said. <laughs> so okay. I'm like, oh, there you go. You know, make sure you guys put your uh, eggs in the right basket this time and don't like, you know, go in a direction that you shouldn't. Like, you should probably buy an Xbox Series S. I'm just saying. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see Google, you know, seeing them do all this refund tells me again, what we thought, what you and I discussed, Dave, which was, this is a beta. This is a beta for a platform, a technology. Everybody was in a beta that now is getting their money back. There's no harm, no foul. It's, you know, bye-bye stadia in the rear view mirror. No, you know, nothing, nothing changes. Um, and it was Google's way of seeing, okay, is cloud gaming viable? Is our software viable? It is. So now let's set it, you know, behind the scenes as a white label product rather than direct to consumer. Uh, Brian, your thoughts. I, I know you haven't had any experience necessarily with Stadia. But what are your thoughts on it shutting down? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sad. I, I, we've discussed before, I know at least between us, that uh, our, our thoughts were that the fact that it was a not a subscription was a missed opportunity. It really felt like that was that was the way to go for this service to like make it take off, make it so that people could try games on the service with you know very little uh, risk. Mm -hmm. um, and so the direction they went just I think made it hard for people to jump in. The other thing that you mentioned, David, was uh, you know still being able to use the controller. I know there's been some work some community work that's taking place, people try basically trying to jailbreak it and make it so they can at least still get a, 
Yeah, it used the controller for some purpose. So hopefully that's successful as well. Yeah, it was a decent controller. I mean, I liked it's got the uh, PlayStation layout, you know, with the two sticks on the bottom. It's very comfortable, you know, very responsive, very reactive. And and it, before Xbox, before PlayStation, uh, after Switch, had a USB-C port. So, you know, I was excited about that. So I yeah. think it's, you know, it's still a great controller design. But, uh, yeah, super sad. I think uh, you're totally right, Brian. I think missed opportunity that they didn't just make it a, you know, pay 10 bucks a month and get all access to these games um, that you had to buy the individual games. Uh, yeah. It, it definitely was missed opportunity, not to mention Dave, we've, we've chatted about this as well. Um, you know, all the features that were promised at launch, some of them never came. Some right. of them just recently came. I was excited uh, I, I for will... the cross play. I mean, it was, they touted cross play yeah. was one of their huge things from the get go. Uh, nope. and that never happened. The other thing I think was, I would have been fascinated to see what games they were to come out with from their game studios because they invested tons of money into that. And I remember talking to somebody at one point who said, you know, the neat thing about Stadia is what's possible because of it more so than the actual, uh, you know, ability to play games on the cloud. But like you could do couch co-op now because you could have four consoles in the cloud rendering each person's view and then just feeding that to your, to your couch, you know? So things like the halo, uh, co-op mode that recently got scrapped, right. You could have done that, right. You could have a far more complex game than ever before, because you can just scale up with more and more, uh, server blades, but we never saw any of that. So I, maybe it was just one of those, uh, technologies that was not in the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, we've talked about the fact that YouTube was not the first video streaming, but uh, real media came out before bandwidth was really available for streaming media. So uh, real media, not a thing we all use anymore. And we might get a chance to see maybe what was going to be possible. Um, Jade Raymond, who was in charge of the Google Stadia uh, 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 studio that got shut down, she immediately got picked up by PlayStation and was given her own studio with PlayStation. So... They are working on something. I don't know if it'll be in the same vein. I'm assuming they're going to bring some of their ideas from that um, game that they were thinking about making for Stadia and bring it to PlayStation. So we may get to see what it could have been for Stadia, but unfortunately, it never will be. And rest in peace, Stadia, January 2023. Uh, up next, this one is near and dear to my heart um, because I grew up on this, but literally two days ago, uh, from this date, which is October, what, 17th is today. Uh, G4 TV, uh, less than a year after launching G4 TV, uh, G4 TV is shutting down. Uh, so if, for those of you who don't know there, G4 TV used to be the video game channel that you had in your cable packages, had tons of different you know gaming shows. It was honestly ahead of its time. This is pre-Twitch, pre-any of that stuff, and... Um, they weren't able to find a market during that time, had some bad management, eventually shut down. Well, about a year ago, they relaunched it, brought back some of their original hosts, some of their original shows, revived the gaming network. However, it did not catch on. I think part of that is because of where we're at and what's available to people now. You know, you've got tons of different YouTube creators. You've got tons of different YouTube channels and video games and Twitch and all this stuff. I think it was unfortunately now behind the times when they tried to bring it back and what it offered. So, um, Brian, what what are your thoughts on G4 TV shutting down and maybe what they could have done? 
Yeah, we talked about, you know, Stadia maybe just being a problem with timing. And this feels like a similar problem where this is just too late, right? The internet has really taken off in terms of this kind of content and has really, I think, filled the void of what G4 used to provide. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's just not a place, you know, it's just not popular enough to, to, you know, financially support a network like this anymore mm-hmm. when everything has just moved on to, uh, you know, everything online. David, well, any I, thoughts? Oh, sorry. Oh, no. I, yeah, I don't really have I, any thoughts uh, about G4 specifically because I never watched it. I think, you know, the, maybe Russ, the one time I was at your house and we watched it. Uh, I think, you know, the idea, though, um, business model wise is that uh, this was a TV show at a time when TV shows were a thing and they tried to reboot a TV show in a world of TikToks, And so, yeah. you know, you've got Twitch and TikTok and YouTube that are already filling the void of, like you said, Brian, providing this information to people. And so while I'm sure the nostalgia was neat for some people to say, Oh my gosh, it's the same people. It's the same. The nostalgia can only get you so far. Uh, you know, at a certain yeah. point you got to make the decision is it worth putting the money in to make this content and are people watching it? So, well, and, and to kind of finish off on this, like the big thing I see too, is just the model they're going for. They were going in the normal traditional TV route. I think now we're past that because I think really what's happening now is fan funding is your Patreon. I mean, Honestly, so the last couple of days, um, and, and I know that you guys know a lot about it a little bit, but like kind of funny, the, the YouTube channel with all the ex people from IGN that do a bunch of gaming stuff, they just launched their new studio. Um, and it is this massive studio with all of this great things. It looks like like G4 TV's studio. Now they're doing that with tons of different shows, tons of things. They raised in one day $100,000 for their Patreon for the month. Like, they are bringing in $100,000 a month from fans to be a part of their community, to be a part of what they're creating. And so they're able to succeed in that way because they have just slowly built up this community and slowly built up this, this need. And, you know, yes, they get advertising and other things, but that wasn't their sole focus. It was fan-focused. It is fan-focused, and that's what succeeded. Before TV came back, kind of tried to do the old model. And that's, why it's, that, that's why it failed. Um, up next, this one was covered in our news store for the week. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Mondays we'll be posting just a regular news video on YouTube. Uh, but Bayonetta three voice actress, um, Taylor Helena, I believe is her name or Helena Taylor, Helena Taylor. I think that's it. Uh, she, uh, came out on Twitter and notifying people that, uh, she is no longer going to be the voice actress for the new game. And that is because she got a very horrible uh, pay offer for the character, and she said no. It was an insult. Uh, reading her tweets and, and talking about it, she was offered $4,000 flat to reprise the role of the protagonist in the game. Not even like getting a percentage of the sales, not even throwing in any revenue. Like That's the way I see it is. Throw in a percentage, give her 1% of sales or something. You know, to really make it worth her while to actually act well, to do things like I, I think there should be some kind of um, back for that. Uh, but she is asking that people boycott the game uh, and instead, you know, spend their money maybe towards charity. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on what she was offered? And 
you know, kind of where we stand with this and what you guys think about voice actors and the, because this isn't just her for sure. Yeah. And I think they, uh, I think they ended up going with Jennifer Hale to replace her. Yep. Um, who's a, who's a well-known voice actress who's been in, in tons of things. If you played video games, you probably heard Jennifer Hale's voice. Um, but it feels like really gross that they probably paid Jennifer Hale a lot more money than this 4k that they offered for the original voice actress. And it just feels, it just feels bad. Yeah. yeah unfortunately, I, I wish Jennifer, I real quick. Go Jennifer ahead. Hale is under an NDA. So she has said she can't comment on this. That's, that's all I was going to throw out there. So we don't know how much she made anything like that. She's under an NDA and cannot uh, say anything. Go ahead, Dave. Sorry. Your, your, your comments on this. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think the the challenge here, right, is I wish we had the response from uh, the game company, right? Uh, and who's who is behind it? I'm not a fan. Of, I, or I'm not uh, a, Platinum Games. Not that I'm not a fan, but I'm I'm not familiar with yeah. um, the Bayonetta games. But I feel like it would be nice to have some sort of statement from them. Um, and maybe they can't say because their own NDAs and, you know, they'd have to, but at some point I'm sure we're going to hear a statement that, uh, you know, number one, was it true that she was offered just $4,000? Uh, you know, is that not true? Right. And instead that's like a, no, 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 this is somebody just trying to stir the pot because they wanted more money. Uh, also how big of a role, right? Not knowing the game, uh, you know, does this actually, how many, um, how many words is this person speaking for this game? Uh, you know, or is this like, uh, you know, maybe for instance, um, if you're in a game that, you know, your main character were to per se die in the middle of the game, maybe you wouldn't get as much pay as the other people who continue on in the game because of, you know, word count and things like that. But I don't know. I, I just feel like at this point, it's still in my mind, it's still developing, uh, I would love to hear more from both sides. Uh, I guess all three sides, right? Um, yeah. Know, old, old voice actor, new voice actor and game studio before really making any sort of judgment about this. Yeah. And then um, moving on this one, this one's huge news, Dave. I want, I want your opinion. So obviously the big meta event happened and the meta quest pro was announced. It is costing a whopping 1500 $1,500 and will be shipping October 25th next week. Uh, David, what are your thoughts? This is the big one. This is the big meta. Like it's, it's everything that people want. It's got, got AR, it's got VR, it's next gen, cool little like charging pad. Uh, battery lasts about two hours. That's about all I know. So Dave, what are your thoughts on uh, the new Meta Quest Pro? Yeah, my understanding from everything I've heard is this is really not aimed at your uh, consumer. This is aimed at a professional level, uh, somebody that's using AR or VR, for instance, or AR for work, uh, perhaps even like we've talked about before, you know, what if you want AR for surgeons to be able to like have overlays? What, you know, what are the applications to sell this to, you know, military or industry or, you know, somebody that's, that's managing 
a factory that can see the real time output of productivity in the different parts of their factory as they look at them. Um, so those kind of things. I also think it was interesting. Uh, Marcus Brownlee, who's a YouTuber, uh, that does reviews posted a video that, that was so brief. It was like a teaser of a review, uh, in which he just kind of threw them on and showed the pass through mode with three virtual screens. My thought with that was if he's really looking at those virtual screens at this, at the text size that it appeared to have on it, um, that the resolution on this, or at least maybe the effective resolution might be better than it seems, um, being that it, it's only like what, 10% more resolution per eye than the meta quest. Uh, so it's hard to believe that that's actually that much bigger, but maybe the screen takes up less view. I, I have no idea. All of that being said, I have no judgments about this until I can get my hands on somebody's and put it on my face. Uh, but I personally am not going to spend $1,500 to test that. Uh, I don't think that's an effective expense, uh, but it, I do see how this could be uh, a major game changer. And as Marcus Brownlee said, you know, shoot, if you're going to go out and spend the money to buy three massive monitors, you know, you might be out a thousand bucks. So 1500 bucks for something you could use if it's comfortable enough to be a daily driver and use on the go, you know, maybe it's not actually a, that big of an expense by comparison, but no judgments until I can put one on my face. What do you think? Yeah, I think the, <laughs> I think David, you mentioned the pass through mode and that Marcus Brownlee video, and it is pretty astounding. Like I don't think we've seen anything in the VR space like at a really consumer accessible level. I know this is like more of a prosumer, uh, you know, type device, but it was pretty amazing. I was really quite blown away and thought like, you know, this is the kind of feature that I think starts to become like a killer app for VR that starts to make it really attractive. Uh, your thoughts, Russ. Uh, yeah. So just a little bit on the kind of the stats on it. I'm a little surprised. I thought it would have been meteor. Um, cause I want to bring in PlayStation VR two into the conversation as well, but the, the MetaQuest two pro, uh, it does have a much faster processor. It delivers, it says more than 50% more than quest two's processor. Uh, but it uses two LCD panels that give you 1800 by 1920, pixels per eye which is the same as the quest 2 but somehow meta promises that the design gives users 75 percent more contrast and 10 percent more pixels as david said um so even though it has that it's the same resolution um i i say this because psvr2 is using oled uh screens on each eye um at roughly the same uh roughly the same um specs so I, I would think the OLED's going to be better as far as colors and all that, but I don't know. With with a device that's going to be priced a lot less, for $1,500, I would expect a lot more. However, another notice of this is the new controllers that come with the headset, which you can purchase separately for your original Quest 2, uh, is priced at $299. So the controllers are $300. Uh, so there's a big chunk of your cost right there, which makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I I'm very interested to see what people say. I'm very interested to see the reviews, um, you know, get, get the ability to maybe use it one day, but, uh, I I'm very hesitant slash, you know, interested to see where it goes. Uh, thoughts from you guys. Anybody else have thoughts before we move yeah, I've on? Got, I've got a couple more thoughts just real quick. Um, in my mind, this is not a competitor to the PSVR. 
Uh, this is not a competitor to the MetaQuest. Uh, this is a totally separate device. Uh, I, I see this again. I see this more as, um, more as liking to, um, like a Google glass, but I can't say the word Google glass, uh, or like even what the HoloLens, the Microsoft HoloLens claimed to be. And, and you'll yeah. notice, like I had to go even look up at one point, like what happened with the HoloLens? I don't even know if you guys remember when they debuted yep, the HoloLens. Yep. Well, technically Minecraft. it's out there. It's being used. It's in the world. But again, it's main applications are not games. They are not people playing games or, you know, it is business applications, right? So again, I think this is really a competitor to the HoloLens. I think this is a professional device. Uh, the biggest feature of which is that full color pass through uh, for really an augmented reality, more so than a, a competitor with the virtual reality. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next year or so we see a MetaQuest 3 that is once again priced at, you know, $399 that that just ups all of the specs on the MetaQuest two, but is really a consumer grade gaming device. Um, and certainly if not, then I hope somebody else fills that void because uh, there is the gamer uh, base there playing VR games, um, you know, and I, I don't want to spend a thousand. I mean, here's the other thing, the valve index, right? Thousand dollars. So by comparison, this is, maybe on par with that. I, I don't know. I have no judgments. I just want to get one. I want to get my hands on one. I want to just like test it out for four hours. So, uh, anybody out there working for MetaQuest, uh, send me, <laughs> send me a free one and I'll do a review, you know, special deal. Yes. Yes. Just, oh, just send special. me one for so a day, special. right? Just let me rent one for a day and I'll do a review and send it back. So special. So special. But, um, that's my thought. Okay. Well, Let's uh, let's move on to our new segment that we'll call it. We will we will move on to cross topic, and today on cross topic, we are covering gamer profiles. Now when we say this, and I thought this originally, Brian, when you brought this up, I thought we were talking about like you know your Xbox, like your gamer profile, like your gamer tag, your achievements, like all that stuff. Um, but that is not what we're talking about. We are talking about Quantic Foundry's Gamer Profiles, which is a personality profile based on your gaming habits. So to start off, uh, I will not start it off, but I will have Brian start it off. So Brian, tell us what your gamer profile is and give us a little synopsis about it. And then we'll, from there, we'll move on to each of ours. And then after that, we're going to chat a little bit about this and what we think about it. So. Go ahead, Brian. What is your gamer profile from Quantic Foundry? Yeah, and we'll I think we'll make sure to post these uh when we post when we post the video um so that you can go view all of ours uh you know offline, whatever, look at them in detail. But we'll kind of go over it in uh you know just the basics. But mine to start off is the acrobat slash bard. So it's like a mix of two of the different uh, gamer types that uh, that they've defined. Acrobat is a, they call it a solo gamer who primarily wants to take on challenging gameplay that they want to practice over and over again until they take on the most difficult missions or bosses in the game. And they call a bard a team player who wants to chat and interact with other players in game worlds. 
uh, the, for them, the game is a grand story that emerges from a community of players. So I think that's not inaccurate, but I do like this next part, the gamer motivation profile words that they give. Uh, for me, these are calm, analytical, relaxed, gregarious, grounded, and inquisitive. And I think those are all definitely very accurate to the way that I like to play games. Um, there's also a graph that kind of breaks down the different areas of you know, games that you enjoy. Um, and mine is kind of skewed in a couple of directions. If you, if you go look at it, you'll see that it's kind of spiky. Um, and, and yeah, those, uh, I think this is really quite accurate in terms of describing, uh, a lot of the ways that I like to play games. Uh, I think David is up next for his profile. Yeah, Dave. Tell us about your profile. All right. So I am the bard slash architect. Uh, gamer type mottos. It says playing a part in a grand story for the bard. And for the architect, it says my empire begins with this village. Uh, it says my dominant player type is the bard, which uh, is a team player who wants to chat and interact with other players in game worlds, uh, which are rich with lore, stories, discovery, and customization. It says for bards, the game is a grand story that emerges from a community of players. Uh, which I think is interesting. I'll, I'll get to my thoughts on that in a second. Um, but then it says architects are solo gamers that enjoy planning, decision-making and progression. They prefer slow speed, relaxing gameplay where they can plan and build something grand and enduring. Uh, and then down below, it says the game motivation profile words are calm, spontaneous, relaxed, competitive, deeply immersed and creative. Um, so I feel like on one hand, I feel like these are very descriptive things uh, that describe my gameplay. I do love slow RPGs with really, really good stories. Um, I love uh, decision-making and progression. I like achieving. Um, I like deeply immersive games. Uh, you know, as we've talked about before, like one of my favorite games is Hunter Call of the Wild, which is literally 90% walking around in virtual woods. Um, so I love the deep immersion in games. The thing I disagree with a little bit is the uh, team players who want to chat with other players in game worlds that are rich with stories, lore, and discovery. Like that, to me, that sounds like I play a lot of World of Warcraft, which I don't, uh, you know, and there's nothing in there really about like competitive Rocket League kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, the uh, the profile is trying to get a feel for a lot of um, different genres all at the same time. So... Uh, yeah, so that's my gamer profile. Russ, what about you? Well, before I say mine, I, you know, hearing both you guys have, you know, that kind of side, I do see that Rocket League absolutely fits into that because, you know, you appreciate the, the ability to play with others, to communicate with others, to have that community online. It doesn't necessarily have to be a World of Warcraft type. I think it's just, you know, any type of interaction with others where you're playing in a group. Uh, I think, and, and it's funny too, before I, I talk about mine. Hearing both of yours, I pictured both the games that you play. So, Brian, I absolutely pictured, like, that description is perfect for Rocket League. Dave, the whole time I'm hearing yours, I'm like, yep, and that's why he loved Death Stranding. Like, atmospheric, you know, calming, relaxing, all that stuff. Everything you find just described your ability to play uh, Death Stranding and, and enjoyment of that. So, I absolutely think these are, you know, pretty spot on. When you hear mine, I think so as well. So, for me... 
I am the bounty hunter, which is just funny because as soon as I say that, I'm sure people are like, oh, yeah, we know that Russ is the resident trophy achievement hunter in the group, and that makes sense. So bounty hunter are solo, action-oriented explorers who want game worlds that they can make their own through customization and discovery. They also enjoy power progression and unleashing mayhem. It says uh, the words that describe me are action-oriented, spontaneous, completionist, independent and practical uh which i think absolutely just crushes it on the head my um gamer graph is 83 percent action 85 percent achievement uh which 100 just makes sense so uh yeah i i think these are pretty spot on for for what they show and you know i think what we want to do next as part of this is let's go back to last podcast so if you didn't listen to last podcast it was our 56 must-play games, which, again, I just want to make point of we missed some things that I'm very upset about. Uh, I will go ahead and give a shout-out now that, yes, we forgot Pocket Monsters game. Uh, that is our bad. We should have had Pokemon there. 57 top you know, must-play games. Add Pokemon in there, and it's the complete list. Okay, But for now, let's go into our top five. So uh, first, I'm going to list Brian's top five, and then I want him to comment on it. So, Brian, your top five was Dwarf Fortress, XCOM UFO Defense, Forza Horizon 3, Stardew Valley, and Guacamelee, which those first four, if I, I know those games right, completely make sense for you in your community-driven space. But, Brian, tell me, hearing that and knowing your gamer profile, how does that look with the top five games that you listed last week? Yeah, it fits perfectly, right? Like, you've got you've got some of these have kind of an online component, um, notably Forza Horizon and Stardew Valley and a little bit Guacamelee, like if you're playing with other players. I love to be like like work co-op. I'm not necessarily online to be competitive, but like one of the reasons I like Rocket League is that I'm a little bit competitive, but also what I really like to do is participate with other players and like be part of a team. Um, but these other games that are on here, Dwarf Fortress, XCOM, uh, Stardew, those are really like that calm, you know, sort of relaxed, like I'm, I'm thinking strategically. And Guacamelee is, the, is that kind of that mastery component that's in here also a little bit of like trying to get steadily better at something that I just like doing over and over again and really trying to improve. So yeah, it absolutely fits. Um, I'm going to jump next to David's top five and maybe he can go into why it does or does not fit his profile. His top five from last time was the last of us part two, grim Fandango half-life, Alex Minecraft and portal two. Yeah. So thinking about these games, um, they're all deeply immersive games, right? None of these are like casual, you know, pick up for five minutes. Um, they're deeply immersive games. They're deep story games. Uh, with the exception, right, like Minecraft doesn't have a story, but it's the story you create. So maybe that's the part of uh, my gamer profile that does fit with that playing with other players, creating a world, building deep lore. Um, and then uh, let's see what else in my gamer profile, the um, the part about uh, creativity, right? That definitely fits with uh, Minecraft. So, yep. yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of these fit really well. Kind of surprisingly so. So let me read yeah. Russ's top five. And then Russ, you tell us about these. 
Your top five are Last of Us, Uncharted 2, Knights of the Old Republic, God of War, and NFL 2K5. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts? It, 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 well, I mean, you just read this. So, like, action-oriented explorer. Like, if that doesn't, you know, describe Uncharted to a T, uh, I don't know what does. Um, same with, you know, Last of Us. I mean, they're story-oriented. You know, there's progression. Um, you know, I, I like immersive worlds to my games. There's most of those games, you know, KOTOR, uh, being an RPG, uh, another big thing that they love, that I love about games is customization and discovery based on my gamer profile. So, you know, there's the idea of the good and the bad, the light, the dark, customizing your Jedi, those games all hit. That. And then when it comes to sports games, I mean, I'm a huge, you know, achievement stats. Like I love playing a season in a sports game and seeing, and, and I do, I track my character's stats. Uh, I, 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 you know, keep track of my team. How, how many touchdowns do I have? You know, how many rushing yards, how many passing yards? What's the record? How can I beat the record? You know, all that. So it really aligns with my top five and, and what I like as far as games. So, uh, absolutely. I recommend that everybody out there, you know, go take the gamer profile, see what kind of gamer you are, see if it really matches up with who you are. And who knows, this is the big thing. I think that this does for you is maybe there are some games out there that you should be playing. You know, maybe there are some games that, uh, you haven't given a shot because maybe you don't think you'll like it. And all of a sudden now your gamer profiles differently. Like, you know, uh, we can give a shout out to our number one Patreon supporter, Lonnie, who has had some issues with finishing Death Stranding. Uh, and, you know, maybe if we knew his gamer profile, we could see, okay, yeah, the atmospheric kind of slow burn type of game is not really up his alley. Or who knows? Maybe he gets a similar score to what David has. <coughs> oh, excuse me. And and so he, he uh, you know, realizes that maybe it is his type of, you know, game and, and what he needs to play. Uh, thoughts on, on this, guys, and how you guys think others should maybe use this? Yeah, uh, I know when we did this previously, we did it a while ago um, and we just redid it now just before the podcast. But when we did this previously with our community, we saw like most of the profiles were pretty well rounded, right? Like when you looked at the little graph thing that they have, that's like kind of hexagonally shaped um, or maybe it's an octagon. Sorry. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, most of them were relatively round, right? Uh, whereas russ and to some degree mine but especially russ is like super spiky right it's, it's like line. aligned it's aligned in very particular directions um where he has like these narrow interests in in uh you know in certain things but like a lot of other parts of games just don't interest him at all yeah. um <laughs> so especially that kind of fascinating Brian, especially when it comes to social aspects, I'm sorry. Leave me alone. I want to game by myself. I don't want to game with others. Just, just leave me alone out of it. That's why my social is literally two percent. It's the lowest score on there. Leave me alone, oh, man. I, I even remember one time I was on PlayStation, Russ. I saw that you were on PlayStation, also playing Death Stranding at the same time I was playing Death Stranding, and I sent you a message. Or I like tried to start a voice chat, and you didn't answer. And and at the time I was like, man, like what a jerk. Like, you know, I can't believe you're not talking to me now. Knowing you, knowing your gamer profile, I totally get it. You were like, Dave, like I don't play games to talk to other people. Like. Yep. You have you, I, you have no problem talking to other people about the games, but that's not why you're in the game. So um, exactly. And that being said, like I think to me, 
the important thing about knowing somebody's gamer profile and knowing one another's gamer profiles, I mean, it helps us know what we each like, what we don't like, how to interact with one another. Uh, it, you know, it lets me know that if I see a game and I'm like, oh my gosh, Russ, I just played this amazing game. You should totally check out, you know, Minecraft. And then I know, uh, eh, Russ is not going to be into Minecraft. Um, and I, I will say, you know, tiny little tie in here. Uh, we're curious. We were talking about this earlier. If there's any tie in between the gamer profiles and like the Enneagram. So if you've never heard of the Enneagram, it's a nine, uh, point, I guess not point, but, but a nine, what would you call it? There's nine different Enneagram types, right? So you're, you're a number yeah. one through nine. Personality traits. They're personality traits, but it's also a motivational thing. Like what is the main motivator yeah. for you? as a person. And the helpful thing about the Enneagram is knowing what motivates you, knowing what you're healthy, like when you're doing things and you're trying to achieve something, uh, you know, and knowing what your unhealthy habits are, uh, and then also knowing one another can help you interact with one another and say, look, if my main motivator is this and my significant other's main motivator is this, I need to know that to be able to get along. Uh, and I, so, so I think the same thing is true for friendships, for gaming friendships. Uh, so it's just really yeah. helpful. Uh, and I'd love to know what all of your guys out there listening, love to know what your gamer profiles are. So we'll definitely put that yeah, link when in the it, chat. When it, when it comes to Enneagram, like one of mine does is very achievement oriented, obviously. Um, and so my wife knows that. And so she knows that if she makes me a list of chores to do, I will get it done because I can cross them off. I can achieve my goals. She knows that that's about me. Like if she wants me to get things done, give me a list. That's not just because I don't listen or I don't care. It's just that my personality type. So all these personality types, huge impact and, and kind of shaping of who you are as a person. So definitely recommend taking these. And, and like Dave said, we'll, we'll leave this down in the uh, comments on the YouTube, or you can also check us out on our discord and find the links uh, to these profiles. But uh yeah, that that covers our cross topic of the day, the very first ever cross topic. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to comment or deep dive into our community, join us on Discord, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out our live streams over on Twitch. We try to stream twice a week at your pleasure. You guys have been awesome. That being said, we want to let you know from Crossfire that uh, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, that you are loved and you are accepted here. And hopefully you find a community of grace and love that surrounds you. Uh, and if you need one of those, that's who we are. So uh, have a good week. We will hear you. You will hear us next time we have a podcast and uh, God bless.